Welcome to EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. We have a great interview for you today with David Hayers, who is Head of Venture Debt at Hamburg Parks. We asked him on to explain how this part of the venture market works. He talks about what companies' debt is appropriate for, how they underwrite effectively, its rise in popularity, the current market, and way more. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe through all good podcast services or following the link in the show notes. If you have any suggestions for tutor topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harmonco.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So today we are joined by David Hayers, who is Head of Venture Debt at Hambro Perks. Welcome to podcast, David. Thank you, Brian. Very, uh, very delighted to be here um, and, and looking forward to the conversation. As am I. This is going to be a little bit different for me today because it's an area I know very little about. So I'm, I'm, I'm extra looking forward to it. As usual, we want to start by getting to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell us how you became involved in venture capital? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, I, uh, I qualified initially as a, as a chartered accountant, um, did my three years of audit, uh, and then quite quickly thereafter moved into corporate finance uh, M&A advisory. Uh, and uh, uh, through sort of various different iterations of that and roles, I ended up joining uh, what was then Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank on secondment to help them uh, build up their uh, acquisition finance team in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I knew what debt providers did, um, but I, it, it was going rapidly clear to me that actually it was far more interesting uh, area than I had initially thought. Uh, and so I stayed, I turned permanent, um, and over a variety of uh, roles and, and 15 years or so at, the, at that bank, uh, I worked through acquisition finance and corporate finance and ultimately into uh, venture debt. Uh, the team, the, the bank there had a had a team, that a small team that did venture debt. And I found it fascinating, you know, really, really interesting uh, companies, what the, the type of lending that we do, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but it was it was genuinely genuinely meaningful for the companies that we were we were lending to. We built that team up, and um, like to think it was it was a very successful team. Uh, and relatively recently, uh, I um, I was approached to join a, an investment management firm called Hambro Perks to set up and run uh, their venture debt franchise, um, which uh, I I um, thought sounded really interesting. So I jumped across uh, in December 21 um, and have been building that team and, and building that franchise ever since. Excellent. So you mentioned you now with Hambro Perks. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who they are and what they do? Sure. Uh, uh, Hambro Perks is, a, is an investment management firm. So it it uh, it makes investments into, uh, pre- pre- predominantly uh, equity investments into high growth, um, relatively early stage technology companies. Uh, and it currently operates a number of different equity funds so there is an EIS fund. Um, mm-hmm. There is a uh, seed early Series A uh, venture capital fund. There is an environmental technology fund. There's a secondaries fund, special opportunities fund. There's a VC fund in the Middle East. Um, so it's a really kind of diverse sort of, uh, set of strategies. And but, but they were being approached by a number of their equity-backed portfolio companies to say. It's great what we've done on the equity side, but we'd like to raise debt now. Do you have a debt franchise? And and they didn't at the time, so that that's when they reached out um, to me, and and um, I joined to to set up that debt franchise. So um, we are the first uh, arm of that. Um, the venture debt uh, team is the first arm of that debt franchise, and and hopefully over time we will build that and, and broaden that. Um, but for now, it's it's very much focused on venture debt. Mm-hmm. Great. So venture debt is one of these areas that. Frankly, when I started looking at stuff in venture capital, 
I was told debt was a big no-no um, because these companies were already risky enough. You wouldn't want debt on top of that. Equity is a thing. I've since learned a little bit better, but I suspect there's a lot of people out there who kind of have s- similar or similarish knowledge or attitudes. So I thought it would be really good to explore a bit about venture debt and how it works and basically sort of what, you know, the whens and the whys and the whats. So yes. let's start by giving us a sort of high level sense. And how does venture debt differ from sort of normal debt funding? Yeah. So, uh, and, and actually, just stepping back to that sort of intro, uh, Brian, you know, I would tend to agree uh, to, to an extent that um, with, with some of with some of what you said and, and the perception, actually, that, I mean, you know, debt is clearly a very different instrument to equity, uh, mm-hmm. I think, and as, as we'll come on to, no doubt. But I'm not sure that is entirely always understood and, and people maybe confuse venture debt with with being with, with cheap equity. And it, and it isn't. It, it's It's more like... Um, a, a sort of vanilla debt product, but just applied in a very specialist uh, and niche way. So, 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 how does it differ to 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 other aspects of of debt? Essentially, venture debt. All venture debt is is debt to venture stage companies. So, mm-hmm. but by which we mean companies that are still loss making and cash consumptive. But the, the the key difference really is that the assessment when you come when we come to assess a business and, and a sort of lending opportunity the, the assessment is based on the growth trajectory and where the business is heading rather than you know the last three years historic perform historical performance and 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 what the company's currently doing so the, the the focus very much is on the 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 future um of the mm-hmm. company and where that is heading um and in that respect there are there is crossover with with how equity you know, look at companies, you know, it's about the growth and the trajectory. So it's sort of a hybrid in, in terms of the assessment process, I guess it's more of a hybrid between equity and more traditional uh, debt, I'd say. Yeah. And that to me does sound diff- a different process from normal debt because I, I grew up as an equity fund manager in a sense. My impression was equity fund managers always look at the up or equity managers look at the upside, debt managers look at the downside. And that was kind, I mean, like all cliches, it's it's not entirely true, but there's a strong element of truth in it. You're saying in venture debt that there's a sort of different attitude somehow. Um, I think, I think the, yes, to an extent. So the, do we look at the downside? Yes, we do. So, so um, mm. we're, you know, as a debt provider, if we lose money on a loan that isn't repaid in full, that's far more impactful to us than having a company where we, in which we have warrants and we'll cover those, no doubt, you know, later on. But losing money is going to be far more impactful to us and our returns and to our investors than than uh, a, a warrant instrument that, that that really really kicks in and pays off. So, you know, so unlike an equity, like, unlike a tra- sort of traditional VC, where where perhaps. Um, you know, two or three companies out of a you know ten or eleven do exceptionally well, and 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 a number of others fail, and 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 that's all viewed as being uh, accepted. We absolutely do not want to see uh, any loss at all on on our loan. So we do spend a lot of time um, looking at and assessing the downside risk of companies. Uh-huh. And for us, and, and and different providers will have will take different views on this, but for for us, it's all about the financial stability or otherwise of the company. So how can a, I mean, it would be a fair question to ask, well, how can a company that's still losing money be financially stable? Well, it's mm-hmm. all about then understanding how much of that 
overhead base really is there to service existing revenue and how much of it is there to uh, fund future revenue or, or, or sort of service future revenue growth. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and just understanding that dynamic and getting into the depths of the financial analysis and the, and the forecasts. Um, so, so in that respect, it's, it, 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 it's, it's why we, we always do our financial due diligence ourselves as a team. Uh-huh. I think that's really important. We need to be, I don't want to outsource it to someone else um, because I think we need to understand the financial risk of the companies that we're lending to, you know, in depth rather than rely on someone to, to pull mm-hmm. it together for us, for, for us. So, so, so that's in that respect, it is that that sort of assessment process, whilst there are some nuances, that assessment process is very much like traditional debt, but it's mm-hmm. just that it happens to be skewed to understanding not the current position of the company and what it's done over the last three years, but actually the, the ability for that company to, to maybe flex its cost base uh, maybe take more equity in um, the growth trajectory, et cetera. So, so it is it is a slight um, quirk on on how debt writers normally look at uh, an opportunity, but 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 um, there are some similarities also. Yeah. So, so you mentioned there about sort of revenue in particular. I was just wondering about mm. what sorts of companies this is kind of really suitable for, in the sense that I can imagine, say. I'm going to give it a, a SaaS company with lots of recurring revenues. This might work very easily. Whereas someone that's doing contract business where it's very large, lumpy, it might be less suitable for debt. What sort of profiles are you looking for? That, that's exactly right, uh, actually, Brian. So, so the the traditional use case still for venture debt is mm-hmm. to software as a service based revenue models. Uh, companies that have highly contracted, very visible revenue streams that uh, typically would have raised equity from venture capital or VCTs or, or venture capital firms or, or the like that are within maybe 24 months of cash generation and break even. Um, and at that point, those companies, uh, if they want to continue to fund their growth, really have three options. One is to slow their growth and cut their costs um, mm-hmm. and become break even themselves. The second is to raise equity. And as we all know, that equity raising right now is, is harder for companies, takes longer, and it's more expensive for them. Or the third, third option is to is to raise venture debt. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so and so we are seeing, I think, a, a real uptick in in venture debt usage. Um, I think in part it was already happening, but but I think it's also been driven by by the difficulties in raising equity right now. So the, the companies that are most suited absolutely are those with sort of predictable recurring and contracted revenues. Uh-huh. And I think that those that are um, that, that struggle, I think, will, will, will be those that have, you know, much more unpredictable, unpredictable revenue streams, very lumpy, you know, maybe, maybe it's project-based, sort of hardware is, is, is hard to, uh-huh. to raise venture debt for. It's not impossible, and we do do it um, unusually for, for venture debt provider. We, we, do, we do lend to hardware companies, but it is hard um, because that sort of, that, that sort of trust, if you like, uh, in the revenue streams coming through in the future is, is that much weaker because because it is it, it just isn't contracted. Mm-hmm. And do you sort of look at B2B or B2C sort of differently or is it kind of all, all a bit of the same? Um, I think we, we, we do look at B2B differently to B2C. I think the issue that we've had, we, we, as a team, you know, in past lives, you know, we, we, we've lent to 70 plus companies and you know north of 300 million pounds now i think but but very few of those were to b2c companies and the reason for that 
is that um, when we come to assess a company, I talked about the kind of flexibility of the cost base. So mm-hmm. we come when we come to assess a company, I think what we see for B2C companies is, is often, I mean, I think it's perhaps less so now, but certainly it was true uh, pre-COVID, where, where they were burning lots of money because they were spending a fortune on marketing. They were raising lots of equity to, to fund that, but they were spending fortunes on marketing to get market share and or retain their existing market share. So, so the, the, the issue with that is if for whatever reason that revenue didn't continue to grow, and for whatever reason, equity decided that they had maybe put enough money into the company, the ability for that company to cut its cost base and maintain its existing revenue is really limited because they have to continue to spend lots on marketing to to even maintain their current their uh-huh. current base because with consumer facing businesses, the churn is usually quite high. Uh-huh. Um, so whereas compared that with a B2B company where often it's, you know, it is a contracted maybe one, maybe two, maybe three year sort of agreement, revenues are very um, sticky and, and, and predictable as a result. And yes, it's about incremental growth and more customers coming on, but actually the ability for that company to show to us that they can service their existing revenue on a reduced cost base is much, much easier. Uh-huh. So so whilst we can, we can lend to both B2B and B2C companies um, and have always been able to do that, I think it's been, it's an area that we've never particularly played played strongly in because it because of that sort of dynamic um mm-hmm. and it goes back to that financial stability point uh, that i mentioned earlier for us but but others are different and others have, have funded b2c companies um quite happily mm-hmm. I'm, I'm vaguely involved myself in someone that's not they're not venture debt per se but they do fund consumer things in particular yeah um for sort of user yeah so it does happen and it, and, and it can get it yeah yeah, there's definitely a variety of models out there. So you mentioned earlier about sort of warrants and this sort of mm. made me actual think about the sort of terms that VegTech is let on because the natural reaction is if it's higher risk, there's going to be a high interest rate and maybe that might be a penal in- or seen as penal by some people. What, what's the sort of terms that you typically lend on? Yeah, so so in terms of in ter- I'll cover the easier part. <laughs> so, in terms of length length of term, so so typically up to four years. I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be quite rare that you'd see a loan beyond four years, and often mm-hmm. it's some it's three um, or say possibly up to four. Occasionally, it can be shorter, um, but but it's it's in that it's in that kind of realm. And, and um, at, the, at the end, are you looking for that? Is your expectation that will be refinanced with other more conventional debt or the company will have earned enough cash to repay the loan? Yeah, so so in at a point in which um, we lend money to a business, often, uh, and this is sort of uh, not always well understood, but, but often that company is relatively cash rich because um, whilst we don't have to go in at the same time as equity, often we are, uh-huh. or we're going in relatively soon after equity has gone in. So with the combination of the equity investment and our debt, after the debt goes in, actually the company is relatively cash rich. Uh-huh. What we should be seeing for, for ourselves, what, what we look for is companies that don't need to raise any, ideally don't re- need to raise any further money uh-huh. after our money goes in. So the idea is the cash burn, the company uh, reduces because our money is helping fund the revenue growth, that helps to reduce the cash burn and, and within a relatively short space of time, so anywhere up to kind of 24 months, that company has become break-even and cash generative and therefore is, is, is self-funding. So that's the dynamic that we typically look for. So the, the exit for, for us, if you like, um, on our loan should be 
uh, and the expectation is that the loan runs all the way through to term and that is and, and, and the repayment of that loan is is generated from the cash flow of the company okay in reality what's happened over you know we've been i've been doing this for close to 10 years now in reality what's ha- what happens and we're not seeing quite so much at the moment but it certainly is a trend that we've seen over the last 10 years or so is that um, particularly for the more exciting companies they get bought and whilst our loan length might be say four years our average hold length um, uh, over the last 10 years has been uh, just under three mm-hmm. because typically the companies get bought usually by big corporates and that mm-hmm. ends up being a crystallization event um, for, for the loan for us so um, I mean that waxes and wanes I mean obviously through 2020 and early 2021 there wasn't a lot of corporate M&A activity but actually late 21 and 22 there was an awful lot mm-hmm. yeah and so and so we're seeing yeah it does wax and wane but I but generally the exits have actually been uh, through corporate acquisition uh, more often than not. Sometimes it's equity refinance, sometimes it's debt refinance, but but the bulk of them have been um, uh, actually corporate acquisition. So coming back to the terms, sorry I interrupted yes. you a little bit. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> yes, so so that that's the length of, of, of loan. So mm-hmm. um, so interest rates and uh, fees, etc. So and the interest rates, I mean, they can be fixed or variable. I mean, they, they are usually variable. Um, and depending on on the stage of the company, so clearly there's a range here, and mm-hmm. companies that are at the earlier end of that range are deemed more risky. Companies that are later end and closer to cash break even and profitability are, and, and that have raised more equity are you know, are, are deemed to be uh, less risky. But but in terms of to give you a sense, I mean, typically if it's a variable rate um, loan, typically it will be somewhere around nine to twelve percent above base. Okay. Um, which clearly is four four twenty five right now. I mean, it might go up, um, mm-hmm. expected to go up, but but only marginally. So so that it's it's there or thereabouts in the relatively low teens. Now, mm-hmm. um, you know that 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 sort of spread hasn't really changed significantly, even though base rates have increased. Clearly, that the, just the reference rate of, of, of base going up from point one to four twenty five is is the key change in the overall price of the debt. Um, you know, I think I think that. That for a company, and certainly we're seeing it in terms of the the, the um, deal flow and the pipeline, et cetera. But but in terms of the company, that still remains a very well considerably cheaper than than raising equity, particularly for a company that has already raised that equity, it has that cash break even point in sight, but just mm-hmm. needs to continue to grow for another year or two to get to that point. Those companies that are well established have got good product market fit. You know, raising equity at that point just ends up being very expensive for them. And that's really where this type of lending kind of comes into its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you also mentioned warrants earlier. Mm. So is, is that normal? Yes. Yes, it is. So um, in, in to compensate for, I mean, these are higher risk uh, mm-hmm. loans and you know, a company that's generating two, three million people that and it's being leveraged two or three times. So to, in, in, to compensate for that, then um, yes, it's absolutely standard for for warrants to be part of the loan package. So typically, again, it varies, but typically um, it's around about ten percent of the loan. So if we're lending, say, three million, um, you know, the right to buy three hundred thousand pounds worth of shares at the current um, price per share. So that mm-hmm. that would that would be a uh, sort of standard term that goes into the loan documentation. So yeah, that so that would be expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'm interested in is what sort of security do you look at? Because I can imagine mm. the underlying quality security could be very variable in these companies. 
Yeah, it, it is. So, I mean, most of these companies, I mean, these are knowledge-intensive companies. Most of them have few, if any, tangible assets. Mm-hmm. So, the, the only assets really on the balance sheet will be will be intangible uh, and debtors and cash. I mean, that's essentially it. So, so the security package is is what what you'd expect from a standard loan uh, in the sense that it's a senior secured position normally. Mm-hmm. So, we take a debenture on the company itself mm-hmm. uh, there's no personal guarantees you know no one should be having to give up um personal uh, or, or, or give personal guarantees in, in this part of the market so so the corporate security is is there it, it's more of a um you know it's more of a backup more than anything um i mean the reality is for a software business if it gets into difficulty um and i'm sure we'll come on to you know what happens when things go wrong but but if it gets into difficulty for a software business and hasn't, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to sell um, its software product. There's really not very much left in that company um, if equity kind of walks away. So it is a sort of backstop, really, to have that sort of standard senior secured. And occasionally, you'll see um, sort of smaller end in terms of sort of loan quantums, you know, sub sub million. Um, you'll see some uh, annual recurring revenue or ARR lenders or revenue financing. Um, occasionally, uh, some of those companies will be unsecured. But um, but but from a sort of standard venture debt position, venture debt loan, you would ex- you would expect to see corporate security, yeah, and and a senior position in that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there about thing what happens when things go wrong, and maybe it's worth just exploring that about now. Well, I can imagine what happens when things don't go well in the company. But do you want to talk us through about sort of how you manage that and how you deal with sort of different circumstances? Yeah. So. So a standard package, uh, so a loan package will include um, reporting requirements. So mm-hmm. that's ball packs, uh, management information, you know, versus budget in the last year, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Very similar and, to what equity in, investors would ask for. Yes, uh, absolutely. And and but in addition, um, it would be it would be common to have uh, covenants in as attached to loans. Now, you know, mm-hmm. different providers have different different covenants. For ourselves, we typically look at revenue, but more importantly, cash. And we, we we want to see sort of a minimum and covenant, a minimum usually of, of six months worth of cash one way, sometimes a bit higher, depending on the company. But but so so when things go wrong, that really means for us, companies start breaching covenants. Uh-huh. We get to see lots of very exciting companies that have lots of very exciting forecasts. In my, in our experience, <laughs> in our experience, they, you know, it's quite rare that those forecasts are met. Mm-hmm. So we're not expecting and, and holding companies to the forecasts that we're given. We are giving quite a lot of leeway, but uh, at some point, then you know, a sort of slight underperformance against a very aggressive forecast, um, you know, actually gets to a point where it's actually a bit more concerning. So, so, so a breach of covenant. You know, first and foremost, what happens is we, we a, it shouldn't be a, a, um, a surprise to us. We are. We are monitoring these companies and mm-hmm. our our loan and the performance, you know, mm-hmm. um, very very strictly. Yeah. So you'll keep the, see the cash runway going down nine months, eight yes, months, absolutely. seven months. Yeah, absolutely. So so we you know that should not come as a surprise to us. You know, particularly with if we have a good relationship with the management team, which is essential both ways. Mm-hmm. But if if a company gets breaches covenant, then then first of all, we need to understand whether it's a it's is is temporary or or more or permanent and whether it's uh, for a good reason or a bad reason. And it could be a good reason if the company is outperforming on the revenue side, it has a working capital mm-hmm. requirement to fund that you know, increase and in unexpectedly um, higher revenue. 
you know, that's 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 a good problem to have. It's still a problem, but it's a good problem to have. Uh-huh. But you know, the flip side is if the company's underperforming um, and the cash is dwindling because they're not getting the revenues uh, out and the, and the cash from those revenues is not coming into the company. So first of all, it's understanding a whether it's a it's for a good reason or a bad reason, and b whether it's a short term blip, and in which case we would just monitor it. Um, you know, obviously have conversations with company and equity providers, but essentially just monitor the, the position and, and hope it gets rectified in the, in the oh. following month or, 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 or month two. But if it's more long-standing issue, um, I is going to be a consistent breach of covenant and um, and particularly on it's on the cash side, then we are having you know more in-depth conversations with the company and the equity provider. With the company, it, it is it is it is more about okay, you know, understanding the, the obviously the reason behind the, the shortfall. But also understanding to what extent does that cost base that they currently carry, um, how much of that is really required if the company is underperforming. So, so if it's if whatever reason the product isn't selling, is that does that require a reboot of the sales team, or does that require just a, a different sales approach? Mm-hmm. And then sort of really really get to grips with um, you know how the company can in most instances reduce its cost base to you know to 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 reduce its cash burn. Uh-huh. Uh, and the conversation with the equity providers is 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 um, not too dissimilar, but it's it's around um, understanding their ability or and and or willingness to put money in to the company to invest money in, further money into the company to help it through, you know, a, a hopefully a relatively short to medium term blip. And and uh-huh. but this is this is a partnership, right? And and you know the the, the three parties being the the company, the equity providers, and the debt providers um, should. Be work, when it works well, they should be working together uh-huh. to help, um, you know, because in the interest of all parties, to help that company get to a point where it's on a more stable financial footing. And if all of that fails, so so what? So what's kind of the worst case here, from a debt provider's point of view? The worst case would be um, the company drastically underperforms. Um, the company, for whatever reason, can't or won't reduce its cost base sufficiently enough. The equity providers have said, um, look, they're, they're not going to put any more money in because they feel like the, the company is, it isn't, they don't want to get uh, any return, any further return on the money that uh-huh. they put in. And obviously they're concerned about their existing revenue, their, their existing investment. And at that point, um, that's when we would um, typically, with the company, typically look at um, going down uh, an accelerated M&A process, uh, which thankfully we haven't done uh, very many times at all. That's been three out of seventy-two, uh-huh. um, but um, but it does happen. Um, but at that point, basically, to get to that point, basically the company has has, has had to say that we can't reduce costs any further. Equity providers said, look, we're not, we're just uh-huh. not going to fund this anymore. And we ultimately have a take a view that the company is just not financially sustainable. Then we have to try and realise as much value as possible for all stakeholders in the company. Uh-huh. So you would never get to the point of, or hopefully never get to the point of an actual liquidation and going into administration. It's really trying to salvage something before you reach that. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, no one wants to sell in administration, you know, and, and no one wants to sell liquidation. So, so the, the and and part of the idea uh, around the covenants is to prevent that position. It is an early warning system, mm-hmm. um, and if we, if we can all act appropriately at that time, mm-hmm. then then that. That that generates the greatest chance of of the highest you know realization of value for all stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. And I know your experience is 
limited. You say you've had this three times, and there's probably no market yeah. statistics on this. What sort of recovery rate do you kind of expect from that? Is it kind of you're going to lose half your money or most of your money? Or it's really yeah, it's really hard, Ryan. So so I mean, without going into kind of confidential details, but mm-hmm. but the, to give you a sense on those three companies, two were sold. For more than um, the more than the debt um, and the equity, so we got all our money back. Equity got you know a, a portion of their money back, uh-huh. and the third company uh, was sold at a, a, a didn't at a value that didn't repay all the debt. So we 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 lost money on that company. We lost uh-huh. some money on that company. So so I mean it isn't. Um, I mean I think you're right. There are no hard stats. I mean I think the the only stats we've ever been able to find on this um, are, are from North America. Uh-huh. Which has a has a uh, much more established and, and long-standing venture debt market, uh, and there are a couple of listed um, venture debt providers. And you know the 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 the, the most sort of stats we can see on this is is actually the long-term average loss rate is about three percent. Okay, so that's so so relative so relatively low in uh-huh. comparison to what I, th- I suspect the perception would be. Um, now clearly that's over a long period of time, and you know there will be spikes and mm-hmm. and troughs and that, but but uh, but long term average is around three percent. Yeah, we think, um, yeah. I mean, if we, if we compare that with sub investment grade corporate debt, for example, I think mm-hmm. that that would have a higher default and failure rate. So, yeah, so it's an, it's interesting. I, mean, I think I think in part I would say, however, uh, that um, it's to be the the auditor in me coming out, I suspect, but. Um, <laughs> But, but I would say that that's in a relatively. I mean, that has been over that sort of average of three percent is over a long period of time. But that it's been a relatively benign period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, and I think benign in the sense of equity was was relatively easily available. Mm-hmm. Um, markets were growing, etc. So I mean, let's see what happens over the next sort of five, ten years. But um, but certainly, I think there is a. I think the reality to date, at least, of of loss is is perhaps lower than people might originally think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned about the market growing over the last mm. whatever period. Has there been increased acceptance or understanding of venture debt? Because it, it is still very niche, and I, I presume there are a lot of people out there who still dislike or maybe even hostile to debt. Yeah. So I mean, when. You know, we started that ten years ago. I think at that point in the UK, that there wasn't much venture debt market. So we spent a lot of time working with VCs and VCTs and mm-hmm. companies, um, management teams, etc., to to explain the, the the principles of how this might work, um, and hopefully getting getting them to a point over time, obviously, but getting to a point of of trusting that it, it's a it's an asset class that that. Could be of use to both companies and equity providers. So, so there's a lot of sort of education that went on. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. take that lightly. We we did understand this was an element of leap of faith. Mm-hmm. So, if you're an equity provider and you have put say two, three, four million pounds into a company, and the debt provider is is putting in one, two million pounds, and is taking senior security and therefore ranking above you, you need to be pretty comfortable that either well both of the company. That you're you've invested in is 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 financially stable, but also um, that debt provider is not going to have a knee jerk reaction at the slightest at the slightest downturn, which you know a lot mm-hmm. of these companies will you know will, will go through you know right off roller coaster of, of performance. So um, so so there was we did understand that was a leap of faith there, but of course the, the more deals you get done, 
um, the more VCs and VCTs and other companies, et cetera, that you work with, the more they become used to the asset class. So we've seen we've seen a huge change. I think I mean pre-COVID, perhaps that there was you know there there was um, acceptance, but you know there wasn't it wasn't particularly mainstream. I would I would say mm-hmm. in the sort of technology funding space. I think uh, post-COVID uh, and particularly in the last 12, nine twelve months. Um, as equity has become, you know, harder to to raise and more expensive, um, we've seen we've seen a, a a real focus on venture debt. So, I mean, I've heard venture debt talked about more in the last nine months than I have in the previous ten years. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, because it, it is just seen as a as a potential solution to to a current market issue. I mean, I would say it is a longer-standing asset class has been around for a long time, particularly in the states. But and you know, over there, roughly again, these stats are a little bit loose, but but roughly, fifteen to twenty percent of the um, venture funding market is provided by debt in the UK. I mean, it's very hard to get get accurate stats on this, but my sense is at least, and it's probably no more than that, it's probably about five to six percent. Okay. But that that is growing, mm-hmm. um, and so I think, think there's an underlying trend here. Of, of increased awareness and awareness of and comfort with um, venture debt, um, but I think also driving you know a particular spike at the moment is is just the the, the issues in the in the equity fundraising market right now. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of sort of marketing or in terms of attracting business, is this something where companies now? Are doing funding rounds and they're doing thinking right okay we'll do a bit of debt equity is that awareness of online companies or are vcs saying well actually you've got the solid revenue you should do a bit of debt funding or how how's it kind of working yeah so it's it's, it's a mix of a mix of all of that so mm-hmm. um we're seeing um you know companies looking i mean i think that there is a there's a drive at the moment for Companies to cut costs and and try to get the profitability as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is you know that is certainly a, a trend we're seeing. That certainly wasn't the case pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And presumably that makes it more sinking. attractive to you for funding. Yes, it does. And I think um, you know that because again, it, it goes to that stability point that actually you know the, the closer they get to break even, the the the, the closer or, or the or the more stable they they, you know, they become. So. So yes, that absolutely is 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 of interest. I think I think we're also seeing, you know, given the cost of equity at the moment, valuations have come off clearly mm-hmm. in companies. Um, given therefore the cost of equity, you know, we are seeing considerable inbound, direct inbound interest from companies just to, because they want to raise some more money, but they you know, equity is just too expensive for them right now, so they come to us and ask and ask for that. So. Yeah. To what extent does it, do you think there's a cost or an availability issue for people? Because I, I get mixed messages in terms of the actual quantum of capital, but I think there is less capital around. And if people are struggling to get funding, are they sort of saying, well, I'll grab anything? Or is it a case of it's more considered than that? It, it, it's both. So, so the, um, you know, we are seeing plenty of companies coming to us. I suspect because they won't obviously admit this, but I suspect because they can't raise equity or finding it very difficult to raise equity. Um, and for us, that is not a, a, a sensible lending proposition because we want to see there there to be an equity cushion um, there. So people come to us because they perhaps think it's cheap equity. Well, it isn't. It is debt. It does need to be repaid and, and mm-hmm. goes back to right at the beginning of what you, of, 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 of this, um, Brian, where we sort of talk about 
people who think debt's probably the worst thing to be, to be looking at um, for, for for these types of companies. So, mm-hmm. so yes, we see plenty of companies in that bucket where actually they the proposition is fundamentally equity risk, not debt risk. So, mm-hmm. so we have to say politely no and and keep in touch with them, and and hopefully some of those will will come through to a point where where they end up being. Um, more uh-huh. uh, more appropriate for for a lending proposition i think from a vc perspective i think we i think you know some will certainly see venture debt as a as a strong complementary product to what they are looking to do so maybe uh-huh. um you know maybe maybe the company's looking to raise five million um and instead of that all being equity maybe it's three million equity two million debt for instance uh-huh. and if you're an existing equity provider in that company and want to put uh, maybe not all your five million, or you're restricted to putting in five million, for instance, and you can only do three, or only want to do three, then then debt becomes a really attractive kind of alternative rather than get further diluted by other equity providers coming in, even if the company could find them. So so we we, we do see we do see a real mix, but by and large, mm-hmm. um, you know the 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 um, flow the, the flow of um, introductions come from a, a mixture of VCs. Um, and other equity providers, um, mm-hmm. plus some advisors, and there are some advisors in the space now, and direct inbound or outbound by mm-hmm. ourselves. So it sounds like the sort of circumstances of supply of capital are kind of overwhelming. I would have thought rising interest rates would actually have had a negative effect on demand, but it sounds like they haven't at all. Not yet, no. And I, mean, I think if you were, if you ask me, we were having this conversation in early October after the, uh, the the mini budget um, uh, where you know the, the the forecast interest rates after that were, were, were spiking quite high, uh-huh. then you know I might have given you a different answer. But certainly at, at 4.25 base rates, I'd say 4.50, even 4.75, um, possibly even five. I don't think it will have a significant impact on the demand for this type of lending when equity remains very expensive. I think if interest rates were kind of, you know, to, take, to go to the extreme, kind of seven percent, then at what point does debt become unaffordable? I think is a very valid question, and uh-huh. I think it's probably, in my own personal view, and I've got nothing really to, to base it on, but um, I think if it's getting seven and above, I think that starts becoming quite difficult for the debt providers to make sufficient return over and above what other and what what investors in debt funds or what what banks can can actually get um in more vanilla products so so i think that that starts to become quite you know quite difficult at that point i suspect um but i mean we're obviously we're a long way from from that right now and no one's forecasting that but it it it, it, it's again it goes back to that point i was making earlier where you know company has three options you know one is to not grow anywhere near as fast um, Mm -hmm. and cut its costs and become uh self-funding it's hard to do uh, and unwelcome in many instances, or it's to raise equity, or it's to raise debt. And if equity remains very expensive, with valuations having come off, then debt is naturally going to become more attractive. Um, and and you know that dynamic won't really change, I don't think, until equity starts becoming uh, sort of abundantly available again, which um, um, will happen, I'm sure. But it's just very difficult to understand or know when that might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. In our last episode, we had um, a couple of people from PwC who talked about some statistics. And one of the things they noted was the rise of use of convertibles. Now, I know convertibles probably are more equity than debt, but is that mm-hmm. something that's sort of impinging in in the sort of what what you see? Um, yeah, we, we do see we do see convertible loan notes coming in. We actually welcome them um, because uh-huh. they will be, you know, for us, we, we see them as subordinated. 
uh, subordinated debt. So, uh-huh. um, so they rank below you. So they rank below us. And it's effectively, you know, if, if an equity provider wants to put in pure equity or put in CLNs, we're not overly concerned one way or another, provided we have the ability or, or we understand sort of, you know, if there's any um, uh, interest attached to them and whether that's paid or rolled up or, or what the other economics attached to those CLNs are. But um, but but absolutely, we we would see that we would welcome uh, that, and we and plenty of companies we lend to will have CLNs in them. Key for us is they're subordinated, and we understand the economics attached uh-huh. uh, to the CLNs. And how's competition in the market? I mean, you 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 have obviously moved to Hamburg Perks to set up a new uh, fund of venture debt. The rise of or increased usage usually suggests there's a lot more people doing it. Is that the reality, or are there lots of new entrants? With a few. Yeah. So so I mean, we've seen that there's definitely been an increased. There is an increased awareness of venture debt. So I think demand that mm-hmm. continues to outstrip supply. I think there are more players in the market. Uh, I think um, we have in the past, we have seen institutions, particularly banks, come in and, and, and into the market and then exit again. So, you know, I think I think we you know, and at the moment we, we, we're seeing seeing more uh, people looking at the space or, or actually coming into the space or trying to come into the space. You know, I think the key is how sustainable a lot of that is. I think I think for, from a bank perspective, I think, you know, there are plenty of and we'll no doubt touch on Silicon Valley Bank in at some point but mm-hmm. um I think I think um from a bank you know put, put them aside and, and as a sort of um case study we'll come back but but actually from sort of other bank perspective I obviously worked at a bank for a long time uh doing this type of lending it's very hard for banks to do this type of lending and and the reason is mo- is multiple one is the capital weighting requirements for, for these loans is is very significant for banks that the the the, 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 the you know, to to lend three million pounds, they've got to they've got to really um, put a lot of capital away uh-huh. um, and, and ring fence it to to cover that loan, which is obviously not that attractive for banks. But but perhaps the bigger issue is that they have to really understand the risk metrics and and, and sort of almost turn their t- traditional credit um, risk assessment on its head, uh-huh. which is goes back to what I was saying about the, you know, it's not just looking at the past three years' performance and, yeah. and how the company's doing, it's about, it's looking it's about where it's going. Yeah, yeah and that, that's hard for a, for a traditional bank to 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 really um, get its head around and, and convince credit teams. It took us, you know, it took us a little while to, to do that, for instance, at, at, at the bank I was at, but we, we managed to get, we managed to do it, so it's not impossible, but it is, it's hard yards for sure. Yeah. And a lot of these guys are focused on the security as personal guarantees, the houses, whatever. Yeah. At a smaller which, end rather than um, the sort of things you're looking at. And I don't, you know, we, we've never taken personal guarantees. We will never mm-hmm. take personal guarantees. I think it's it's an unwelcome part of the market, in my view. You know, I think if you either trust the decision making you're, 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 you're doing on the company itself, um, and you're assessing that company, or mm-hmm. and, and you get comfortable with it, or you don't. And and having a personal guarantee of someone's house, I'm not convinced is is, is massively helpful, actually. But that's a personal view. So so yeah, so so we are seeing more people look at the space. I think I'm not convinced about how sustainable a lot of those uh, are or, or will be in time. But um, but for now, yeah, we are seeing more people. But but demand for sure is outstripping supply right now. Mm-hmm. And, and without naming any names, you say not how sustainable is that because you're not sure how committed they are, or do you think they just don't understand? There's been people coming who perhaps don't understand the space well. 
Um, what's your sense? Yeah, I mean, obviously no names, but but I think I think we see. So so a good example would be, for instance, we um, on the covenant structures. So so when we see a company talk to us about, you know, say we say we're looking at a company and 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 are quite interested in lending to it, and they talk to us about, um, oh, we got this offer from someone else, and and there's a and the covenant structure looks like it's an it, you know it's it's a negative EBITDA, so they're, they're covenanting EBITDA even though it's negative. That screams to me that's a bank that's relatively recently come into the market. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's what their traditional credit teams would want to see as an EBITDA covenant, even if it's negative. The issue with that for the company is that by covenanting EBITDA, what you're covenanting is not just revenue, you're covenanting gross uh, margin and you're covenanting overhead base because mm-hmm. all of that feeds into EBITDA. So, so, so then you're really restricting that company from going out spending on its on its overheads, for instance, um, which is kind of what they typically want to use the money to go and do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a very um, yeah. So so we, we we see that now and again. And look, time time will tell. I mean, certainly over the past, we've seen we've seen particularly banks come in and go out again for various different reasons. Um, I think you know it is a niche area, and if you're say a very large bank, it's perhaps not the most exciting market in the world. Why? Because it's not that big. Uh-huh. And yes, it's growing, but it's still relatively small compared to you know the mid-market leverage buyout space, for instance, or, or other parts of debt markets. So, so I think I think time will tell, and I might be proven wrong, but but I suspect you know the the longevity of of people in the space. And there have been there have been a few people that have been have been around for a long time. You know that is far more powerful because they really understand, I think, how these loans uh, operate and 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 how to react when things don't go to plan, which inevitably in most of these companies, things won't go quite to plan and they won't meet their quite aggressive forecasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I'm just thinking there, it's probably no coincidence in the sense you started at Clydesdale rather than one of the larger banks. Maybe that's not yeah, a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um, I mean, I was, I was lucky. I didn't, you know, hands up, I didn't set the mm. team up. Someone else set the team up mm-hmm. um, and I subsequently took over from them. But but yeah, I think I think it was the, the, the sort of direct line and the shortened kind of decision making lines. I think made that uh, you know more achievable perhaps than it would have been had we been mm-hmm. in, a, in a much larger organisation. But um, I mean, again, I, I, that's sort of supposition because I, I haven't worked in one of those organisations. But but that would be my guess. Yeah. And you mentioned Silicon Valley Bank, and there's no way we can yeah. discuss venture debt without <laughs> talking about them at the moment. I think the interesting thing to me is that the failure was not in the venture debt side. It's clearly in, in other aspects. But I don't know what your perspective mm. is. Yeah, so, I mean, I, first and foremost, I think I think the, the SVB team, and we know uh, and knew and know a, a lot of them, some of them were, uh, you know, ex-colleagues. Some of them were friends. You know, some of them are relatives. You know, we had huge amounts of respect for them. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, they, there aren't many, and I would say this actually, even including, um, you know, places I've, I've worked, there aren't many banks that really truly understand this type of lending, and SVB was certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it was a significant shock, obviously to them as, as much as or more than anyone else. But, but you know, the the the, the way that that all that unravelled. Over the space of a few days was was a significant shock and a seismic shock for our part of the market. Uh-huh. You know, I think all credit to those who would have worked um, across the weekend to try and get a resolution by Monday morning, and they managed to do it in the UK. And I think that is entirely to their credit. You know, both uh-huh. HSBC and SVB and the government and all those all those others that would have been involved, because by seven o'clock Monday morning it was almost sort of business as usual. 
Whereas you, you see the breakup of SCB in the States, and that's uh-huh. you know far more chaotic. It's clearly a much larger organisation in the States, yeah. but it's far more chaotic. And and you know, well, uh, you know, you, you won't find me or anyone in my team saying anything negative about SCB in the UK because I think they're a very good provider. Uh-huh. I think I think the, the the move to HSBC and what happens, I think I, I think really time will tell. For now, that there's there's been no discernible discernible change as far as we can see. I think over time, I think culturally it'll be really interesting, um, mm-hmm. both for the staff and for the borrowers, particularly the, the ones that borrow, you know, relatively small amounts of money. Uh, you know, how that sort of migration to a, you know, you know, much, much larger organization that, that isn't purely focused on technology financing, um, how that, you know, how that actually um, uh, happens and, 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 and what occurs there. I think, mm-hmm. I think HSBC have done a you know, very good job for, the industry, um, as I say, to, to give us and and all you know, both mm-hmm. not just not just the the borrowers, but but the you know the VCs and and the whole kind of ecosystem, you know, some certainty in in a very short space of time. But I think I think over time, well, I just I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that how that shakes out and and you know what that looks like in a year or two years time. Um, I, I I don't know, but I think I think you know I think from our perspective. It was a very welcome sort of action that that, that occurred over that weekend. Um, that we have a much, you know, we have a basic business as normal, um, rather than you know the, the the sort of fairly disorganised breakup from what I can see at least um, of of, of SBC in the states. Yeah, yeah. I, it seems to me my gut take is that ACBC was absolutely the right company in terms of that stability and yeah. and resolving over the weekend. ACBC no doubt did a better job than the other people bidding for it whether it's the natural home in the long run I, th- I, I i'm i have sympathy with your perspective there i think time will tell it it doesn't strike me as a natural home for that business no i i think um you know i you <laughs> careful what i say here because mm-hmm. you know i because i you know I, there'll be plenty of people far better placed than me mm-hmm. and and far brighter than me to to determine um just to see what the what the best approach is. I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether they whether they do a uh, follow a first direct model and have a kind of ring fenced mm-hmm. well, sort of ring fenced um, separate brand and keep the SUV brand or, or some other, something else, or whether they sort of subsume it all into the the HSBC brand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that how that plays out. But um, yeah, I think I, I think it gut feels you're right. I mean, HSBC is such a large organisation that they had the stability in the balance sheet to. Mm-hmm. To take something on very quickly, just a longer-term strategy. I think clearly, I'm, I'm sure they're working through right now. But um, you know, it remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, if we look forward a little bit, we're obviously in a slowing economy, and I think if I t- would talk to a traditional lender, that's usually time they rein in the horns a little bit. They're being a bit more cautious. They're being a bit more careful about the lending they're doing. Venture is a little bit different. How do you see? What's going to happen in sort of next six months, a year, maybe a couple of years in terms of this market? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the UK is, you know, we, we, we're very good at talking the UK down, but it remains the third largest technology sector mm-hmm. or market in the world after the US and China. So, you know, the, the UK is, is, is very good at uh, growing, uh, you know, developing and growing companies. I think there is a, there is a, in this space, I think there is a, there is an issue in certain parts of the market, for sure. You know, particularly kind of the 
the scale up and the and there's been quite a lot of IPO talks around IPO and the, the strength of otherwise of the London Stock Exchange recently. But the, the foundations, I think, of of early stage technology companies um, and the development of them. I mean, it's not perfect by any stretch, but I mm-hmm. think the foundations are, are relatively strong. Um, and I think what we'll see um, is an increasing an increasing move towards uh, sort of environmental technology. I think obviously that's that is you know a thing that isn't going away, and I think that is absolutely going to be quite a core focus. So whether whether we see a, a transition from sort of more gen, sort of generalist venture funders, you know, venture debt funders, to more specific venture debt funders as, as the market matures. I think we could see that, actually, mm-hmm. as the, the market gets bigger and bigger and niches within the, even within the venture debt space start emerging of sufficient size to warrant kind of a specialism. I think we, we might start seeing that, but it might be a few years away. But I think we'll continue to see uh, a relatively robust venture debt funding market actually in the UK um, and increasingly in Europe as well. Uh, and and as a result, I, I think you know, that can only be uh, a positive, I, I would say, for for the companies that are in people's heads right now that haven't yet been developed or, or uh-huh. are being developed as we speak. But I think I think that that kind of maturity of funding proposition, I think, is 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 you know, if if not if not there quite yet, I think it's definitely on its way, actually. And I don't really see, I mean, the economy will wax and wane and um, mm-hmm. and people get very excited about it. But actually, I think underlying is, you know, some very strong companies being developed in the UK, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I don't really see that changing. So I, so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly being optimist on that. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else in the venture market, but that doesn't make you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe I spend far too much of my time with talking to entrepreneurs and, who are, who, are, who are invariably optimistic about life. Um, mm-hmm. But it, that, that's no bad thing, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, we need some optimists. Um, <laughs> I think, if anything, we need more optimists at the moment. Yeah, maybe. So what I'd like to do now is move on to our favourite questions. We'll give you a slightly shorter list today. Yes. Tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from it. Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, this won't be particularly earth-shattering, I don't think, for, for, for many people, but... But it wasn't in venture debt actually. But it was a previous a previous um, role that I was doing um, in banking. But it was when I was lending to you know, relatively large uh, corporate um, customers. Uh, and this one particular customer uh, or, or, or prospect, I should say, you know, looked fantastic on paper and numbers stacked up, and it looked like a very strong proposition. And lots of other banks were interested. And we needed other banks. It was a, you know, it was a big, it was a quite a big deal. So we needed a, mm-hmm. a, a club of banks to do to do that, to, to kind of get the deal across the line. But but there was this constant niggle, and I was trying to, I kept trying to understand where that was coming from. Personally, that I felt that I was trying to understand where that came from. Uh, and but but everything on paper looks you know, looked looked fine. It looked like it stacked up. Um, so we ended up. Um, and you know, and I was you know, I was being encouraged you know, internally to you know to you know to complete the deal and 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 move on to the next one. So, um, so we did the deal and lent lent the money and not insignificant. I mean, it's tens of millions. Uh, you know, alongside five or six other banks um, at the time. And pretty soon afterwards, you know, and I, I remember I remember feeling, thinking this of, of had sort of feeling trepidation or waiting the waiting the management. Uh, information coming out for the first couple of months, and that's never a good place to be. 
so so actually the first couple of months it was fine uh, i think actually well maybe you know maybe this is this, this is actually um you know, maybe that gut feel just wasn't it just, just was i was just was just off but but then relatively soon thereafter it, it started to uh, deteriorate and that mi kept coming in and it kept getting worse um and and ultimately the, the company you know really struggled it bridged all sorts of covenants um and um and i think and ultimately you've got management we weren't the lead bank and it was managed by one of the big banks and and um ultimately they went to the restructuring division and and we all we all got out in the end the company got sold uh, we all got out again but it was very painful and it mm-hmm. and and it, you know not just in terms of sort of internal reputation but i think but i think just the time that the sort of opportunity cost of time spent on trying to trying to resolve uh, something that hasn't gone well is enormous because every minute, every hour, every day, every week you're spending on that. You're, you're not spending it on on finding the next deals and 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 prospecting and originating. Uh, and you know the, the 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 lesson here, which is which is by no means earth shattering, but it, but that gut feel is 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 and it is a cliche, but it is absolutely there to be listened to. Uh-huh. And um and you know looking back, absolutely should have listened to it, and life would have been a lot less stressful for. For a few months, for sure, um, you know, a, a number of years ago now. But um, yeah, and 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 that, you know, and, and it's it's hard to the, the issue is it's, it's quite hard to to quantify that, you know, because it, it isn't really something you can, it's not something that's particularly tangible. It's just it's just that sense that something isn't quite right, um, but you can't put your finger on it. But it is it is absolutely there for a reason, um, and uh, and I, I have not failed to listen to that in, um, ever since. Say. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I can, I can sympathise having been through similar things myself and what I call now my spidey sense. Um, I yeah. talk about my spidey sense tingling uh, when I see something yeah. that's not quite right. Yeah, and, and that, that's it. And, and it's, you know, again, it's, 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 it's so difficult kind of to pin down, mm-hmm. but it's there for a reason. I mean, it, you know, it's the, the kind of you know, uh, monkey, monkey brain, isn't it? Limbic brain or something, or something mm-hmm. like that, but it, yeah. it is, it is uh, it's it's that there to kind of protect us, and I've and, I, and I've listened to it ever since. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So as listeners know, I'm an avid reader and always looking out for books. I'm heading on holiday very soon, so um, anything you want to recommend that for, to take away with me? So a few years ago, I read this book called Affluenza. Um, it's by a guy called Oliver James. I found it mm-hmm. really quite interesting, actually. So so it's a it's really a, about how we as a a population are you know marketed and advertised to and how that plays on kind of feelings of, of envy and keeping up with the joneses and all that type of stuff and um and 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 how that is ultimately then feeding kind of depression and anxiety and and, and never feeling quite good enough and mm-hmm. you know i have two teenage girls uh, uh and uh at the right <laughs> the right time i will be encouraging them to to read it to understand that, that mm-hmm. you know they are seen as products and um they need to they absolutely need to understand understand that and um, and sort of take heed of of that and kind of see through a lot of that and and, and how that kind of feeds the, the the natural kind of human tendency to to um, I guess to compete at times and I think it's massively unhealthy in 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 a lot of instances uh, and so um, I found it to be really uh, really interesting you know very well kind of researched and thought through and written. Uh, Burke and there's a lot of kind of um, yeah, research that goes, that, that's gone into it and, and uh, talking to various different people all around around the world, not just the UK. Um, I think I, I found it to be, to be fascinating, actually. Um, so I'd, I would certainly recommend that. 
Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I've heard the name in the past, but I don't think it's that quite registered. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely dig that out. Yeah, good, good. And, and the other one, actually, I, I, um, uh, was, and I forget, uh, forgive me, I forget the name of the, the author, which I, I, I should check. But um, so it's called Tuesdays with Mori, um, which is a very short book, but it's about, and it sounds quite morbid, but it isn't, if, if anything, it's the complete opposite, but it's about somebody who, who would go every Tuesday with, um, uh, to go to a um, care home or hospice, actually, to, to spend time with spend time with someone who was, who was uh, unfortunately dying. But 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 just a lot of lessons of this person was was sort of giving on the on the deathbed, which was really kind of you know both very moving, but also very um, uplifting actually uh, about about what life's about, and um, and I would certainly recommend that um, as well. So uh, there, there, there there are two to hopefully keep you busy as, as you as you sit on the beach. Thank right. you, uh, and we'll I will post <laughs> links to both of those in the show notes. So if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing at Hagrid Perks, where should they go? Uh, well, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, David Hayes, or you email me, uh, david.hayes at hamburgperks.com. And be delighted to, um, to, 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 you know, to chat through it, really. Um, you know, we say we, we, um, you know, we like, we just like talking to people about this space. You know, we mm. like, you know, e- you know, even when there's, sort of, there's, there's sort of nothing in it, it's just about, um, you know, talking about something that, we're, that we are um, probably uh, over passionate about at times, um, yes. but it, it is it is a really interesting space, and and you know genuinely that the the ability to um, to provide funding for companies that it's meaningful for, um, I think is 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 a real privilege actually, and and to see you know it must be incredibly hard for these entrepreneurs to to go out and, and grow their companies and raise finance and and juggle all the all the balls that are juggling. Um, and for us to be hopefully a part of that, I think is 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 something that we should we should absolutely cherish. So, so we're delighted to talk to anyone about it, frankly. Um, so, so that that's how that's how best to look me up, and I look forward to speaking to to, to, to those that are interested. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. So, thank you very much for talking for me today. I, I've I've really enjoyed it. So it's been great. Uh, but likewise, likewise, and uh, um, yeah, very very uh, very pleased to have 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 had the time to. To talk through um, the market and 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 what's happening, um, you know, it's a it's it's, it's ever changing, uh, but it's um it's it's a, it's a it's a really interesting and sort of privileged part of the market to to be involved in. I think. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion on venture debt. It's still a relatively new area for me, and I sure learned a lot. As usual, you can get full show notes with links at harbinandco.com forward slash podcast. If you liked what you hear, please give us a review with lots of stars on your podcast app. You can also subscribe directly on all good podcast services and players or through the link in the show notes. We can be contacted at inquiries at harmonco.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks' time.